1: <laughs> microphone check, mic-a microphone checker, microphone check, micro microphone checker. It's on. I'm ready to rumble. I'm ready to get down. I'm ready to talk about what's happening in the world of sports, and I'm ready to do it right now, July 19th in the early mornings here in Las Vegas, Nevada. What is happening? What is going on? Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going down, getting down in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom, Wasalam Aleikum, my brothers and sisters. Namaste, konnichiwa. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos. Mi amo, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's world in sports. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before we begin and discuss what's happening, may I say that I hope that you're doing everything that you need to do to make your neighborhood, to make your school system, to make your church area to make everything that's around you a better place to be. You do it with love, peace, understanding, respect for one another's. Listen, learn, educate yourselves. Diversity is the key to life. But live with unity, harmony, love, together, this understanding. That's what the world needs now. And I don't mean to be Stevie Wonder. What the world needs now is love, much more love, unity, peace, and understanding. Let's see if not only me, but you, can get that to be your goal before we leave the planet that we're on right now, before our time is up, before, well, we die. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. NBA to talk about, you know, it's going to be kind of like a kind of non-traditional sports traditional type of podcast that I'm putting together today because, you know, I know training camp is going to be starting in a couple of days for the NFL, but right now, I'm just not feeling it yet. I'm not having that discussion bug bite me yet in terms of I want to talk about who's going to be winning the NFC North and who's going to be winning the AFC South. And can you name the 10 best quarterbacks and which team is going to surprise, which team is going to uh, be the biggest disappointment? I'm, I'm not ready to go into that genre yet when it comes to the NFL. Oh, what's coming? We'll be talking about Aaron Rodgers. We'll be talking about Deshaun Watson. We'll be talking about Russell Wilson. We'll be talking about Baker Mayfield. We'll be talking about Tom Brady. We'll be talking about Patrick Mahomes. We'll be talking about Dak Prescott. We'll be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. We'll be talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll be talking about the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll be talking about all that stuff, but not just yet. Can we just wait until everybody reports to training camp before we get into that i i know you want to speak football i know that you're jonesing for football hey man while everybody's up there talking about nfl nfl before the nfl starts we got college football that's going to uh be playing some games some real games some meaningful games some interesting games before the nfl starts so i want to start really getting also into uh, college football as much as i want to talk about the nfl i also want to get into some college football so in the next couple of days, I'm going to be diving and delving and educating myself more into that than I am the NFL. And with the interesting things that are going on in college football right now, and college athletics in general, when we're talking about name, image, and likeness, and when we're talking about now the transfer rules being uh, relaxed, and we're speaking about all these other things, it makes the uh, college football season a little bit more interesting than it has been in the past couple of years. And... When you think about teams like Alabama, they're not gonna have they'll still be great. They'll still be good, good, but you know, Bryce Young, the quarterback, the new quarterback that's gonna be in there, he's still gonna prove that he can play just because he was a five star recruit from Matter Day out there in Southern California, that doesn't automatically mean he's gonna be able to fill the spots of Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa and Mac Jones. We gotta see what's up with that. They're gonna be losing some wide receivers, so Alabama's not gonna be a short thing. Clemson's going to be replacing Trevor Lawrence. Um, Ohio State's going to be replacing Justin Fields. Everybody is saying that Oklahoma is going to be the best team in the country. Spencer Ratliff coming back for, I guess, his sophomore year. So defense for Oklahoma is much more improved. They're finally putting all that talent that they've accumulated on defense, starting to pay dividends as the preseason Regular season moves closer and closer. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in uh, talking about some uh, college football coming up. But, you know, right now, we've got the NBA Finals. We've got the NBA Finals. I'm not going to be talking about rumors. I'm not going to be talking about trades. I'm not going to be talking about possible trades. I'm not going to be talking about future draft picks. I'm not going to be talking about the um, NBA, you know, the college players that are coming into the league and break them down. I'm not going to be getting into that just yet today. I'm going to be focusing more on not just the NBA Finals and what it means for the Milwaukee Bucks to win a championship, what it means if the Milwaukee Bucks win a championship, what does it mean for the NBA, for the Milwaukee Bucks to win a championship, why if the Bucks win a championship over the Phoenix Suns in a series that you're matching two even teams on so many levels, what's the difference now with Milwaukee seeming to control the series in terms of uh, you know reaching that championship goal? I'm going to tell you the main difference And the series has been so tight, so hotly contested and two teams that are so evenly matched. I'm going to get into uh, what I saw last night, the return of the Cena. Watch the Money in the Bank pay-per-view wrestling. Want to give my thoughts and opinions about that. I haven't talked wrestling in a little bit. And also, the end of the podcast, I want to give my special shout-outs. I want to give my special dedications I want to give my tribute to the late, the great Bismarcky. So those are the things that's going to be happening today here in the world of sports. With yours truly, Wendell's World of Sports. With yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Let's get down, man. Let's get funky. Let's get into it. Let's get into it right about now. The Milwaukee Bucks are one win away from winning an NBA championship. Won a thrilling Game Five, one twenty-three, and one nineteen. They take a three-to-two series lead. Big three for Milwaukee outplays the big three for Phoenix again. That's what it's going to be coming down to, man. We can talk about all this, all this other stuff. It's about which strengths are going to be the which which strengths are going to be coming to the forefront for which team. When you're speaking about Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton for the Phoenix Suns against Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday for the Milwaukee Bucks, whatever one of those threesome, whatever threesome plays better. For the most part, they're going to win. And the triumphant of, uh, and the cupo Middleton, and Holiday, they were better. They were better. Combined in game five for 88 points, shot a combined 38 of 63 from the field, 20 rebounds, 24 assists between the three. And remember the last podcast I had? Now, I remember... The last podcast I had going in that I said that, uh, you know what, the Phoenix Suns were going to win Game 5 because of the home court advantage, because of some of the players from Milwaukee not bringing their games, their games of importance from Milwaukee over the Phoenix, and some of the uh, others for Phoenix were going to play better once they hit their home floor, and I thought that uh, Devin Booker would continue to be strong. I thought Chris Paul would be much more aggressive in terms of trying to score throughout the entirement of the game, and DeAndre Ayton would continue with his double-double prowess. Well, on some of those, I was right, and some of those, well, I was wrong. But I did say this, of all the players that needed to step up, of all the players that needed to be better, of all the players that we're talking about of, his, of importance, who still haven't had that that true game of greatness, that true game of superstardom, that true game of what the fans and the franchise and even some of their players were hoping that they give, the only player that was left not to do that was Drew Holiday. We saw Chris Paul put up monster numbers in game one. We saw Devin Booker put up monster numbers in game three. We saw uh, DeAndre Ayton have a strong series uh, game one. We saw Giannis game two and three become unstoppable. We saw Chris Middleton have a strong game four. Who was going to be that game? Who was going to be that guy in game five between those six players, Holiday, Giannis, Middleton, Paul, Booker, and Ayton? Which one of those guys was going to shine the most? And for... Game five, the MVP of the game without question was Drew Holiday. Finally, having a game the Bucks knew we could have in him: twenty-seven points, thirteen rebounds, uh, thirty-seven points—excuse me, twenty-seven points, thirteen assists, four rebounds, three steals. Great defense as usual. He went into Game four. Well, he went into Game five after he went four for twenty from the field in Game four just 13 points in the first four games of the series he was shooting 33 percent from the field he was missing a whole lot of wide open shots he was missing a whole lot of bunnies he was using his physicality he was using the size advantage and his strength advantage to call problems on the offensive end for chris paul and even though that he was missing shots he was still enforcing his will and his physicality and his strength and his athleticism advantage that he had over Paul and others that were guarding him. So even though he was missing these shots, he was still taking a toll on the defenders that were guarding him. Now, for game five, Holiday started to make those shots. Everybody knew eventually, hopefully, he was going to make. And that turned out to be one of the main reasons why the Bucks are headed back to Milwaukee for tomorrow's game to try to clinch their first NBA championship in 50 years, and we're speaking about Holiday on the offensive side of the ball, coming up with the points and the assists and the rebounds and the floor game that he had on offense. He also made, I guess you could say, guess you could say, was, was what the co-defensive play of the series. Don't ever want to take away what Giannis did in Game Four. Don't don't ever want to take away that that block off the pick and roll on Aiton that he had in game four. But as far as the co-defensive play, if you want to try 1A or whatever in terms of the importance, maybe that block doesn't mean as much if if Holiday doesn't make that defensive play. 22 seconds left. Milwaukee leading 120-119. Phoenix with the basketball. Devin Booker drove toward the basket, stopped in the lane, pump fake, spun back around. And as he spun back around, guess who was there to say, hello, I'll take that namely the basketball, it was Drew Holiday waiting right there, ripped the ball right out of his hands, started a three-on-one break, threw a, a lob pass to cupo threw it down, foul on Chris Paul. Ball game, basically. And let's not even forget the, again, critical plays when they needed it in a series that was so tight, that a series that is so tight, that is so close, that's going to come down to a, you know, come down to very, very, very small plays, nitpicking on who could do what better and who could do this better and who was doing better at that nitpicking-wise. After that free throw by Giannis that was missed that could have given Milwaukee a three-point lead, guess what? It was ball. Phoenix didn't secure the rebound. Giannis tapped it back out to Chris Middleton. He was fouled, and basically that uh, gave him the cushion, ultimately, that decided the basketball game. So again... It was interesting. I mean, the, the play by Holiday was awesome, not just to get the steal, but then to go down. And the th- thought process is, okay, should I hold it out, let them foul me? I go ahead and sink two free throws. We're ahead by three. Or do I basically go ahead and throw that lob? And it's like, man, this is your point guard you're speaking about also. So for Holiday to, A, have the cojones to make that pass, B, the belief that have the young Akupo is going to make the play, Because also, again, it could have been a situation that as soon as the ball was in the air, I mean, Chris Paul doesn't have the physicality, but if if it was someone like DeAndre Ayton or Jay Crowder, just for a moment, guess what I'm going to do? As soon as as I see that ball in the air, and as soon as I see Giannis either start leaping off of left foot, right foot, I'm shoving him. I'm doing the Cedric Maxwell, James Worthy game six in the forum from 1984, and I'm just going to shove his ass and hope he falls right into the uh, first row. And if that means Giannis have to go to the free throw line, that's fine. As I mentioned before, he didn't want any part of those free throws down the stretch. He was 4 for 11 from the free throw line. And if you saw, and when you saw, after he made that field goal, the euphoria of, you know, basically we have a chance to ice this game and take this game and steal this game on the road, you saw how short that free throw was. Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, in that instance, in terms of when they were coming down, if that was the case. Even Devin Booker, I think he's strong enough to, once again, you know, I, I don't give a damn if I have to tackle him. I and mean, as soon as I see Giannis point to the to the rim, which he did, and then, you know, start taking a couple more strides, I am going to do like an offensive tackle would against, uh, against a defensive edge coming around the middle to attack my quarterback. I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to shove him. And give me the foul, that's fine, because he's not going to get a dunk on me. But then again, as I mentioned before, Chris Paul, 6'1", 16th year, 36 years of age, doesn't have the physicality to go ahead and do that. So Giannis caught the ball, lobbed for a dunk, foul by Paul, put the play in the books for Milwaukee, put him up by three. This is exactly what the sound of the call was on Milwaukee Bucks Radio when Holiday threw that pass and Giannis threw it down and was fouled on the shot by Chris Paul Booker
0: Booker driving chicken wings again in the lane Holiday rips it away 16 seconds to go to Giannis slam it how about that
1: and there you had it there you have it signed sealed delivered it's yours great game I'm so glad game four and five, I mean, game one and two and three were like, ugh, but games four and five have been, and I shouldn't say games one through three were ugh, but I mean, it wasn't nail biting. There wasn't any suspense. There wasn't any close calls. There weren't anything like that. Games four and five definitely um, fit the bill in terms of excitement. And yeah, the basketball always wasn't super pure, but I mean, I'm sorry. Go please find me a series in NBA Annals history where... Every single game that was played in a six or seven game series was off the charts, fantastic, wonderful, awesome. I, I remember the, you know, the most fabulous series, NBA series, like people of my generation like to speak about, the Boston Celtics, Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson and the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, every time, every time they played, I'm sorry, it wasn't a nail biter. If you remember, uh, there was a couple of games uh, where the Lakers blew the Celtics off the court in this series. There were games where the Celtics blew the Lakers off the court in their series and that an unbelievable game, you know, unbelievable series, seven games in the 1984 NBA finals. I- I'm sorry, 109-102 for game one. The Lakers, Kareem had a great game. Game two, Gerald Henderson steals the ball. Magic Johnson had to brain free Celtics win in overtime. But game three, the Lakers blew them off the court, something like 135, 130, 135, 104, or some nonsense like that. The game where Larry Bird called his teammates out, called them sissies, don't have to heart and all those type of things. Game five, great game. Celtics won in overtime, but game, uh, game four, Celtics won in overtime. Game five, 121-103, the game at the Boston Garden where it was like 98 degrees inside the arena. And, uh, you know, Bird had like 38 points, 17 rebounds, 8 assists. It was something where, you know, basically the Lakers we blown out. And then game six, Lakers pulled away in the fourth quarter to win. And then game seven, you know, beneficiating and magic choking choking at the end caused the Celtics to uh, win the game. My point is, and we can go to 80 uh, the next season where the Lakers won in six. We talked about the 148-114, the Memorial Day Massacre that the Celtics handed the Lakers, where Kareem looked old and he had a migraine. He looked like he didn't belong. And then game three, the Lakers once again coming back to the forum, blowing out the Celtics. So, I mean, we can go ahead and take a look back at all these series and we can find games that were bad. We can find games that were non-competitive. We can find games where the stars of the teams didn't show up to play. They had poor games. You want to say they choked. They want to want to say the other derogatory thing, go ahead. But I've heard some folks even in games 4 and even in games 5 between these teams Milwaukee and Phoenix nitpick and start talking about well you know the basketball wasn't great for the first part of the game and you know not too much defense and people start fouling, finding fallacies and finding faults and finding weaknesses within the teams to try to uh, fit their narrative of you know this wasn't like this wasn't like the 90s this wasn't like the 80s this wasn't like burden magic this wasn't like jordan This wasn't like this, that, and the other. I mean, you know, as I mentioned before, you want to go back to when the Lakers were steamrolling over everybody. You want to go back when San Antonio was winning their championships. You want to go back to those type of scores. You want to go back to those type of games. You want to go back to that type of a series where Philadelphia got their asses kicked by Kobe and Shaq, where New Jersey got their asses kicked by Kobe and Shaq. You want to go back to that? You want to go back to Detroit and San Antonio? You want to go back to that series? That was seven games. That was exciting. How many people sit back and remember the good old days of that series? So, you know, first of all, let's stay in the present. And second of all, let's uh, just appreciate the fantastic basketball that has been played over the past one and a half games, the one and three quarters games, half of most of game four and then now game five, which was absolutely great. So the Milwaukee Bucks, the Phoenix Suns, thank you so much for continuing to put on a very entertaining NBA Finals program. It ain't the Celtics. It ain't the Lakers. It ain't the Brooklyn Nets. It ain't the New York Knicks. It ain't the Miami Heat. There's no big markets in this in this uh, Finals. There's no LeBron. There's no Steph Curry. There's no uh, excuse me. There's no uh, well Kawhi's nothing. There's no uh, you know uh, KD. There's no James Harden. There's no Kyrie. There's you know there's no LeBron versus the Big Three from Brooklyn. There's no storylines like that. Two teams that have very little, if any, basketball history in terms of success ultimate success is concerned between the two teams. They've been to what, three, four NBA finals in their existence. So you know what, for two teams that are ushering in new talent, new ideas in terms of who to root for, new avenues, new directions for the NBA to be going, starting a new era. If you speak about the age group of LeBron and those guys, hey man, it's been good. It's been fantastic. If you're So narrow-minded that just like, you know what, fuck it, if it ain't LA or New York, I ain't fucking interested. If it ain't LeBron, Steph, or KD, fuck it, I ain't interested. If you're that, then you're that. But you're missing one hell of a series. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Giannis, Drew, Middleton in Game 5. I tell you, man, they were fantastic. Fifth trio in NBA Finals history to each record 25 points on 50% shooting in the game. They were the first to do this since big game James Worthy, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the superstar, and Magic Johnson, Buck Johnson in 1985. Basically, game five was a game of streaks. You can sit there and, you know, talk about the defense wasn't any good, but they were making shots. And it was a game of streaks and runs. The first quarter looked like the game was going to be out of, uh, you know, your typical game five basically where there's been a lot of blowouts in game five and the game started like phoenix was going to do just that bucks trailed by 16 at the end of the first quarter 37 21 Devin booker scored 11 in the quarter the team speaking of phoenix hot at the summer day out there in the desert out here in the desert shot 14 of 19 from the field and in the first quarter the sun made made 11 straight field goals that the longest that tied the longest streak of Shots made and in the NBA Finals since nineteen, since what in the last twenty years since the Lakers did it in Game Five of the two thousand series, well that's how strong it was. But then again, in the second quarter, man, it's like you blinked. I took a five-minute snooze a little bit between quarters, and um, you know that dress that Maliko Andrews was wearing kind of knocked me out a little bit, man. That thing was, that that thing was that dress was hugging her tighter than how much I wanted to hug. Nikki Black back in 11th grade when I first got to Kennedy High School, that, that dress was, was hugging her so well, doing her justice too, but the Bucks came back after I woke up, it was like, the Bucks started to make this comeback, and by halftime, they took the lead, it was like, how in the world, it's like, okay, Phoenix was going to come out strong. Phoenix was going to come out mad. Phoenix was going to try to knock these guys out 15 seconds into the first quarter. They were going to try to do Michael Spinks versus Mike Tyson. They were going to try to do Mike Tyson versus Michael Spinks. They were going to try to do Joe Louis versus Max Schmeling. They were going to try for the quick, decisive, emphatic knockout. And again, making all their shots. The crowd was into it. The place was going crazy. 37 to 21. I was like, okay, shit, looks like Phoenix is going to rock and roll. God damn, Malika Andrews is looking good.
0: <sighs> oh,
1: they were taking a 120 second nap, woke up. Damn, hold, hold on for a second now. Instead of 16, now we're down to 10. Now we're down to 8. Now we're down to 6. What's up with this? Bucks showing their metal. Bucks showing their comeback ability. Bucks showing their playoff experience. Bucks showing their resolve. Bucks showing now their playoff maturity. Bucks not panicking, and uh, finally, Drew Holiday had the game, had the quarter that uh, got him rocking and rolling and ready to go for the game that he had ultimately for the totality of it. uh, 14 points, six of seven shooting in the second quarter, had five assists during that quarter, and before you knew it, it was Brooke Lopez hit that right corner three. It was like, damn, we've got ourselves a ball game, and let's give Phoenix some credit also because these are some guys... With the exception of Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, they they haven't been in this position before. And you're speaking about such a young team. Mikkel Bridges, what, in the second season, third season? DeAndre Ayton in the third season? Devin Booker, 24 years old, he's in the fifth season? I mean, these guys could have easily had the shoulders slump, their psyche destroyed, their confidence broken, after, man, we come out, the crowd's going crazy, this, that, and the other. We're up 37 to 21. Our mindset might be, hey, you know, you know, walking down the streets of uh, Victory Lane and all of a sudden coming up down on the avenue with the Milwaukee Bucks. Not only do they catch up with us, they surpass us. I mean, for a young team, inexperienced team like that, they could have easily folded and said, oh, fuck and Maybe if they were in Milwaukee, they, they would have. But not in this situation. But as hot as as the Phoenix Suns were in the first quarter, Milwaukee turned the tables and said, anything you can do, we can do hotter in terms of shooting. They hit nine of their first 10 shots in the second quarter, got themselves back into the game. They outscored the Suns 43-29. And how about this? For the quarter, shot 17-24 from the field six of nine from downtown and they weren't getting wide open looks they weren't getting game six third quarter fourth quarter la clippers versus utah jazz in the second round of the western conference finals this year's looks ruby gobert wasn't out there fumbling stumbling bubbling all over all over himself and saying fuck it go ahead and shoot the wide open three guy who, who i'm supposed to be guarding wasn't doing that at all the bucks were hitting some tough tough shots and making some very good shots and imposing their will. When the Bucks outscored the Suns in a six-minute stretch, 25-12, to 12, with Giannis on the bench, it was like, oh, okay, all right, you know, now we're starting to see in a series that's really even, and depending upon the quarter, depending upon the game, depending upon what's happening, you can go back and forth in terms of who has the advantage, who's the better team, who you think's going to win the series. I think in that instance, I think in that example, I think in that scenario, I think right there, you kind of take a look and you say, yeah, Milwaukee's the better team because a situation like that, and you can sit there and go, you know, when well, Milwaukee made their one run, Giannis was on the bench for Milwaukee, impressive, for them to get back into the game, but who was also on the bench, which impacted the score decreasing to where Milwaukee got themselves back in the game? It was Devin Booker. So we saw the way the Milwaukee Bucks can play when Giannis goes to the bench. And then we saw how the Phoenix Suns play when Devin Booker goes to the bench. Now, that might be too small of a sample size to say, well, yeah, told you so. See, this is what's going to be happening. See, this is the tall tale sign and this is what's going to be happening always. But again, goes back to championship medal goes back to experience, goes back to maturity, goes back to confidence, goes back to chemistry, goes back to the wars, goes back to the battles that the Milwaukee Bucks have had together at this group, not just for the preceding years, but you just go ahead and take a look at, look, the Phoenix Suns, we were down 2-1 to one to the LA Lakers, got blown out 73, or sorry, 93-78, uh-oh, oh, Anthony Davis hurt his knee, all right, now we're good, Where's the adversity that the Phoenix Suns had faced anywhere in these playoffs? They beat the Lakers 4-2. They go ahead then and they uh, swept the Denver Nuggets playing without Jamal Murray. Then they go ahead and beat the LA Clippers a little bit, a little bit, slightly slitched. A slight little deal of a uh, contest in terms of being competitive, but not too much, not too much. Look at the road that Milwaukee had to face. Let's just... Narrow it down to one series. Look at the war that they had to go through. God damn it, I hate using the word war. That's so inappropriate. Look at the battle. Look at the competitive nature of the series that they had against the Brooklyn Nets. Both mentally and physically. The fact that they were down 0-2 after getting their asses whooped and embarrassed. Look what happened after being down two to three, or three games to two, and how they came back and won. How they had to win game seven on the Nets home court. How they had also had to do it in overtime. Do you think getting down by double figures in the teens in the first quarter against a Phoenix Suns team with very little experience is going to face the Milwaukee Bucks? Shit. We just got through it with a series a couple of weeks ago of facing Kevin Durant, who was the best player in the NBA, the way that he was playing, and also James Harden, injured, but still, very effective, very cagey, very intelligent on the basketball court. This ain't going to uh, get us down. Those type of competitive series got them ready for what happened in the first quarter against the Phoenix Suns. Chris Middleton then in the third quarter, got it going. Five of seven from the field in the quarter. Milwaukee again shot 14 for 20 from the field in the third quarter so look you take a look at the second and third quarters milwaukee outscored phoenix 79 to 53 and in those quarters they shot a combined 31 to 44 from the field that's 70 percent holmes 10 of 16 from the three-point line are you fucking kidding me that's 62 and a half percent homie the important others bench players role players from milwaukee however you want to call them whatever you want to talk about they outplayed phoenix who would have thought that? The role players from Milwaukee brought their game from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to Phoenix, Arizona. While the Suns, role players, the others, the bench players, they left their game They left their game in uh, Milwaukee. I don't know if they left their wallet in El Segundo, but I know I left their, the way they played uh, game five. They left their games in Milwaukee. I'm speaking mainly about the bench for Phoenix. Milwaukee got another strong, positive performance from Pat Connington and Bobby Portis Jr. Connington, how about this, man? A guy who'd been around. Bobby Portis Jr. just just came around just for a quick second in terms of his contributions and, and his impact on the team long-term with the Milwaukee Bucks. But God, Pat Connington has been there for the losses against the Toronto Raptors, the losses against the uh, Miami Heat. I mean, he was there, part of that unit, part of that group that was sitting around going, honey, to his wife, honey. If he's married, honey, uh, if Giannis leaves, I don't know. I don't know what's going to be happening. I don't know what's going to be stirring around. I'm part of that group that, you know, can get into Giannis' ears and say, hey, look, man, you know, me and you, we we've been through some things, you know um and I need you I need you to pay this house I need you to keep my kids going I need to you know get that retirement fund I need to get that generational wealth I need to get that playoff experience I need to uh need to do all that and you are a big 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 part of it because if you leave Milwaukee guess what that's going to affect the way that I play that's going to be affecting how much money I get so uh I need your help I need your help now so I mean Connington has been part of that group he's come through valuable, important player the last couple of games for the Bucks. Game five, scored 14 points, four or six from the three-point line, timely shot, six rebounds, bouncy, energetic. In the 30 minutes he played, he was a plus 10 in the plus-minus department. Connington made an impact. Bobby Portis Jr., yeah, from the scoring-wise, he only had nine points, but he was a plus seven in 19 minutes, and again, he brings that energy, he brings that effort he brings, the, him and P.J. Tucker bring that physicality you know, what? He they're, they're going to scrap they're going to talk, they're going to bark, they're going to get into the folks face, You. Know, Giannis is a nice guy, on the court Giannis is a nice guy, he ain't going to be talking no shit, he ain't going to be rousing up folks, Drew Holiday is a nice guy, Chris Middleton is a quiet nice guy, and I'm not saying that nice guys finish last, last but you Can't have five really nice guys, I think, I believe, unless one of the guys who's a really, really nice guy is Tim Duncan, and Tim Duncan was a fierce, fierce competitor behind that placid look he gave when he was on the basketball court. Ask Kevin Garnett and Draymond Green if they could get into the head, the psyche, with some bullshit and all that nonsense with Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan didn't look like he was a burning inferno of toughness uh, if the if you took a look at that face, if you took a look at those expressions. But underneath that, a man was a psych- that guy was a psychopath in terms of trying to win basketball games. That guy was a maniac trying to win basketball games. But guys like Drew Holiday, competitive, tough, but he's nice. He's not going to scrap. He's not going to get in people's faces. Giannis, one of the best players in the NBA. The modern day Dr. J, Julius Erving. Ever- everybody's talking about he's a modern day Shaq. Watch Julius Irving play and then imagine Julius Irving if he was playing in the year 2020. That's what Julius Irving would look like. That's how Julius Irving would play. Take a look at Giannis the Cupo for all them young folks. That's the modern day Julius Irving. Just like Luca is the modern day um Luca is the modern day Larry Bird. Giannis is the modern day Julius Irving. But he's not a talker. He's not a yapper. You know, he's not going to be get up, getting up in people's faces. He ain't no punk, and he ain't going to back down. He ain't scared. He ain't a bitch. But, you know, he's not going to be scrapping. He's not going to be doing, he ain't going to be doing the dirty things, the, the, that type of things, in terms of that, you know, getting people's faces and this, that, and the other. Same with Chris Middleton. Middleton never talks. I mean, remember there was something where it was being reported that, you know, holder when he get, first got the job with the Milwaukee Bucks, and he was watching Middleton play. He was, was questioning, is this guy trying hard? Is this guy caring? I mean, look at him out there. Is he even playing hard? I mean, this, that, and the other. But you have to look at him a little bit closer to be like, oh, oh he is. He is. Okay. He's just not showing it. It's just not showing it through his expressions and those type of things. But, uh, you know, th- three nice guys, this, that, and the other. Bobby Portis, he doesn't need to do what Giannis does. He doesn't need to do what Drew, what Drew Holiday does. He doesn't need to do those type of things. What he needs to do more than anything is to bring the edge, bring the toughness, bring the tenacity, bring the ferocity. You don't have to worry. Bobby doesn't have to worry. He ain't playing 30 to 35 minutes. So he can let it all hang out. He doesn't have to worry about foul trouble. He doesn't have to worry about any of that stuff. Whether he's playing 10 minutes or 25 minutes, just go as hard as you can. And he's professional enough to... Say, hey, you know what? Maybe in this series, i.e. the Brooklyn Nets, I'm not going to be getting any time. I'm going to be getting some DMP CDs. But I'm still going to be needed, and I've still got to keep myself ready, both physically and mentally. The professionalism on a team full of professionals like the Milwaukee Bucks, with a coach in Mike Bootenholder, that's golden, man. That's golden. Him, speaking of Bobby Portis and... P.J. Tucker, bring that edge, bring that physicality, bring that toughness to the Bucks, which helps, uh, which which helps with that mixture, which makes the chemistry just right. So he's been great. He's been great. Plus seven again, as I mentioned before, in game five, nine points, 19 minutes, and uh, you know, for your you know, for Phoenix throws out uh, Jay Crowder, we'll match your Drake Jay Crowder with Bobby Portis Jr. And uh, in that role, it's been a very, very good matchup, favorable so far to the Milwaukee Bucks, hence them leaving the, the, uh, the team leading the series three games to two. Wendell's World and Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So the importance, others, bench players, role players... For Milwaukee and Phoenix spoke about in game five and a game that went down to the final wire and a game that went down to the final moments and you had the big three for each team playing relatively well. Where are we going here? What's going to be the difference? What's going to be the margin of error for the margin of victory? I point to what Milwaukee did with his bench players, Connington, Bobby Portis Jr. in comparison to Torian Craig Payne and Cam Johnson. For the Phoenix Suns, who were a combined negative 30 in their plus-minus, pain was a negative 19. Pain, not bringing the pain. Pain causing pain for the Phoenix Suns in game five. So, uh, you got to take a look at this. You got to take a look at this. You got to see the game with the third eye. You got to read in between the lines. You know what I'm saying? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me go ahead and talk to my Phoenix Suns brethren. Let me talk to the place where I spent three years hanging out, doing sports talk radio at the Deuce. Let me go ahead and speak to you fellas. Let me go ahead and speak to you guys and gals. Another heartbreaking loss, huh? I know, I know, man. I know this is, I mean, I I lived there, unfortunately. I lived there for three long agonizing years. I understand the passion. I understand the uh, reverence and the enthusiasm that Phoenix, Arizona, the s- surrounding regions from Sedonia all the way up to Prescott, all the way back down to Nogales, to Tucson. I get it. I understand the love that you have for the Phoenix Suns, city's first professional team. But City ain't a college team. They don't give a damn about Arizona State. Basketball, football, baseball, or anything else. They don't give a damn too much about the Diamondbacks. What are they what are the Diamondbacks now? Fifty five games out of first place in the NL West? They don't give a damn about that team, for the most part. Yeah, they won the World Series. I was there. Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, Luis Gonzalez, all those guys. Dooku Kim. I remember those I remember those times. Yeah, when they're good, everybody's cheering and you know, doing all those type of things. But that ain't a baseball town. The Cardinals under Bill, Bill Bill Bidwell have been bad for so long and that for so long that it's kind of hard even now with the resurgence of some success in Arizona uh, concerning their football team. The damage that was inflicted upon that community by Bill Bidwell, still the wounds have not healed yet. So this is the Phoenix Suns basketball town. This is the city of Charles Barkley and Kevin Johnson and Mark Mark West and Tom Chambers and Frank Johnson and that 92-93 squad that came one John Paxson jump shot away from forcing a game seven. That was a match. I wasn't there during that time, but that was magical. I got there a few years after that and they were still riding the wave of momentum of love that that team had. So I understand how important the Phoenix Suns basketball team is to the community. sucks (laughs) if you're one of those guys because Phoenix did everything they were supposed to do in the game come on Phoenix let, let me let me speak to you man because I know how much you love the Phoenix Suns be rational with me now okay be honest with me now where did you think Phoenix came up a little bit short yeah you can talk about the defense and yeah you can talk about well they isolated too much they isolated too much Guys shot over fifty the guy shot fifty five percent from the field. I remember listening to that in the postgame where they asked up Booker and Chris Paul, do you think <coughs> excuse me, do you think that there <coughs> Oh boy, stop me. Hmm. Do you think that there was too much isolation? That the ball didn't move enough? Like, what are you talking about? They shot fifty five percent from the field and sixty eight percent from the three point line, not move the ball around enough. Why would you move the ball around enough when there was nobody out there stopping Devin Booker? Why would you not isolate Devin Booker? No one was stopping him. For the most part, I mean, Drew Holiday was doing a good job, but other than that, Devin Booker was getting anything that he wanted to. What, you wanted to have more Mikhail Bridges three point shots from the left and right corner? Now, he made a lot of them. He made some good shots. He made some good looks. He had good percentage from the three point line. But if you're looking for, if, if, if Devin Booker, who's coming off a game where, you know, he was monster hot and put up a historic game, and was perfect in the third quarter while scoring 18 points, and you see that he's going to be putting on a performance similar to that, maybe not at that level, but damn near close to it, why in the world would you want to take the ball out of his hands? Because if you're moving the ball around, then obviously you're going to be moving, unless you're going to be moving the ball around to Devin Booker, to which he can go ahead and make some points, well, then why should we waste the... Why should we waste the time of moving the ball around? Let's get the ball to Devin Booker and have him go and see if anybody on the Milwaukee Bucks can stop him on a consistent basis. And again, when you score 119 points and you put up 55% from the field and 68% from the three-point line, I don't understand the argument. I don't understand the question of do you think the ball moved around enough? All five starters for Phoenix shot over 50%. What are you guys talking about? But Phoenix did everything that they were supposed to do. Remember I was talking about, remember going into uh, my last podcast? And remember when I was talking about going into game five on my last podcast? I was talking about, hey, look, you know what? Milwaukee Bucks are definitely killing the Phoenix Suns on the offensive and defensive glass in games three and four. Just killing them. And also, as far as the turnover difference is concerned, huge margin of difference. If you take a look, Phoenix continued to shoot great. If you took a look, they shot over 50% in Game 4, and Milwaukee shot 40%, barely 40% in Game 4. But if you took a look at the shot attempts, Phoenix had 78, Milwaukee had 97! Because they were cleaning up on the interior and getting points off of offensive rebounds and second-chance points. The Phoenix Suns were being bullied. Now, when you have big folks like um, Brooke Lopez and Giannis and P.J. Tucker and Bobby Portis and... In short spurts during the series, Budenholzer has gone with that big lineup of Giannis at the small, Bobby Portis at the four, and Brooke Lopez manning the middle. That's going to lend to a huge offensive uh defensive rebounding disparity when you have only DeAndre Ayton, for the most part, who you would consider a prototypical big. You can play... Jay Crowder has a small ball four, but he can't, mind the, he can't man the middle. You're not going to be playing Frank Comiskey. There's no one else on there that can really match up in that situation. So you have DeAndre Ayton going up against, you know, these three monsters, you know, on the perimeter for certain parts of the game. And whether it's Bobby Portis, whether it's Brooke Lopez, whether it's Giannis, there's going to be someone of that length, strength, and agility, and mobility, and hostility still um, in the game. So Milwaukee's not playing any more small ball. Their their, their small ball is Giannis at the five. I mean they that, that that's their small ball with Connington Giroux um Connington Giroux, Giannis Middleton and uh and another and another guy. So that's that's their small. And they were beating up Phoenix on the uh, glass and the turnover margin Phoenix was being careless with the basketball. Well in game five for the most part, they cleaned that up, if you're speaking about the Suns. They were only out-rebounded re- by two, 37-35 on the glass, and they were out-rebounded re- by only three on the offensive glass, 11-8. to eight. They weren't, you know, they committed only eight turnovers for game five compared to 11 from Milwaukee. Now, six came from, uh, the sixth turnover from Milwaukee came in the first quarter, but for the most part, the Game wasn't decided on the amount of turnovers that were made. You could talk about when those turnovers happened played a big role, yes, but you just can't look back and say, oh, you know what? You know, Phoenix had 15, 16, 17 turnovers, and so we could just cut that down in half where a game, which, which was a one-possession game, with under 24 seconds to go into the game. You know, you could take a look back at the turnover margin if there was a big turnover margin and say, they mentioned before, we cut a couple of those out, which could have led to a Milwaukee— basket or so we could have won this game so it wasn't that the Suns outscored the Bucks for the first time in the series in the paint 52 to 46 Devin Booker had 20 in the paint DeAndre Ayton had 12 in the paint so it wasn't a situation of they were getting beat up and the disparity was there you took a look around I'm trying to find out for you Phoenix Suns fan exactly where was the game lost Booker was unstoppable for the most part when Holiday wasn't guarding him again 17 to 33 from the field, 40 points, had the highest plus minus on the team with 12. So don't sit there and you can talk about, oh, Devin Booker, this, that, and the other one on the last uh, offensive series of consequence for the game for the Phoenix Suns. He was the only reason why, for the most part, Phoenix was in that position to uh, be in a position to win. You know, I mentioned before the lack of ball movement nonsense, one-on-one play. Again, 119 points. 55% from the field, 68% from the three-point line, and 90% from the foul line. They had a 50-40-90 night for the game. Don't sit there and tell me about any offensive deficiencies on why the Phoenix Suns lost this basketball game. The five starters combined to shoot 62% from the floor on 71 shots. Please don't tell me that it was lack of ball movement which caused the Phoenix Suns to lose the basketball game. Wasn't that? Wasn't that? It was defense but also it was just milwaukee making some really good shots making some really good plays and doing what they need to do near the end they made one more play than the phoenix Suns, and that's the reason why they're going ahead in the series going back to milwaukee three games to two wendell's world and sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us chris paul I said that, man, Chris Paul, from the get-go on my last podcast, I said that from the get-go in Game 5 that he was going to be aggressive, look for a shot. I predict- predicted that he would have a Drew Holiday type of stat line from the offensive side of the basketball. Paul can't affect what Drew Holiday does. on. He can't mimic what Drew Holiday does on the defensive side, but I thought Paul would have a game where he would have, like, anywhere between 27 and 32 points and have anywhere between – 10 and 15 assists and have that type of impact in the game. But he was good, but not impactful. Not impactful the way that I thought he was going to be playing, especially with his homeboy LeBron at the game. I thought that uh, he would put on a much better show uh, in terms of impacting the game from opening tip till the end. But not as aggressive offensively looking for him to score, as I mentioned before. In 35 minutes, he still had a pretty good stat line. 21 points, 9 of 15 shooting, 3 of 3 from the three-point line. Didn't get to the foul line, though, damn it. 11 assists and only one turnover. So we, we can't blame age. We can't blame injury. We can't blame, uh, you know, uh, you know, tiredness, fatigue or anything like that. We had a solid game. And in the final period, he was perfect from the field. 4 of 4. 10 points, one of the main reasons, along with Booker, that the Suns got back in the game after falling down double digits early in the fourth, midway in the third. So from the totality, I thought he could have done more, but Chris Paul was not the reason why um, they lost the game. I just wish through quarters two and three, when Milwaukee was imposing their will, that Paul could have maybe taken the game over a little bit more. Quarters two and three, He was only a four from 10 from the field. And in the the third, he was one of three in the third quarter. Now, maybe that's age. Maybe that's a situation where a 36-year-old Chris Paul in a tough, physical finals, playing the longest season that he's ever played in. Maybe now is not the time. Maybe now he just doesn't have the energy or the ability to uh, take over a game after something like that. Who knows? I don't know. But if they're if you want to lay some criticism down and have him sleep in it in terms of what he could have done better, yeah, we wish he could have done something a little bit more impactful in quarters two and three, but it is what it is. I'm fairly certain that Milwaukee held on to win the basketball game. And this is what we're talking about, where it's like how close these teams are. I mean, this wasn't something where, like, oh, yeah, you know. No, 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 no. I bet you one thing. If somehow, someway, Phoenix would have tied that basketball game up, they would have won in overtime. They would have won going away. I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, that game went into overtime. Whatever the Suns were, Suns would have been the favorite in that overtime. Because I think near the end, Milwaukee was just hanging on. But they made the play when they needed to. And uh, they won the game. So, you know, that's that's just the reason why it is. And if you take a look at it, why is Milwaukee taking control of the series? There you go. That's the reason why. So, game six coming up in on Tuesday. Tomorrow. What are we going to do about this? Where are we going with this? Man, I want to see Phoenix win this game because I want to see seven games. I really do. But I think the Milwaukee threesome of Kupo, Holiday, and Middleton have just, they've slightly outplayed Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton. I do mean slightly. Because if you take a look at the last three games when Milwaukee has gotten on this run, Giannis, he's averaging 33, 12, and 7 on 60% shooting. Damn. Middleton, Twenty-nine, seven, and five on in uh uh on sixty uh, percent shooting. Damn, Drew Holiday, twenty, ten, and five and two steals a game. On forty-four percent shooting. Damn, I'm sorry, Middleton shooting forty-seven percent from the field. My bad, thirty-nine percent from the feet uh, three-point line and eighty-six percent from the uh, free throw line. Damn. And all three players were impactful. That's one thing we haven't pointed out yet. All three players from Milwaukee were impactful in Game 5, the same game. Giannis, steady, strong, dominant. Middleton, clutch, steady, strong, consistent, hitting big shots when they needed. And finally, Drew decided to join the party. Impactful, both ends of the court, making shots. That one steal that he had... Drove, saw it was a one three, backed it up, left side three point line, launched and hit, but there weren't any bucks near, nearly around to take a to get an offensive rebound. That showed me that's confidence, young man. That is some confidence right there, and he's feeling it. So, all three players of importance for the Milwaukee Bucks were great. Game five, can't say that yet about the uh, Phoenix Suns. They've been good. They've been good. All right, Chris Paul, yeah, he had a dud in one of the games. Game four, I believe it was. I forget what what it was. Devin Booker had a dud game three. But for the most part, the guys have been good. You're really going to be complaining about the Phoenix's, uh, the Suns' big three when Booker is averaging 30 points a game. Paul is averaging 17 points and nine assists a game on 51% shooting. And DeAndre Ayton is averaging a double-double, 14 and 12. Two block shots, 54% shooting. It's just been it's just been you know something here something there, something everywhere. It's Phoenix is right there. if I'm Molly Williams, I'm saying fellas. you know we, we kind of gave that game away. We kind of slacked off a little bit in the second or third quarter. Milwaukee imposed their will but we didn't quit. we didn't give up. We didn't lose our confidence. We didn't panic twice not only after Milwaukee came back after we tried to deliver that knockout punch and we thought we delivered that knockout punch by going up 16 at the end of the first quarter, but then after Milwaukee, late in the third quarter and heading into the fourth quarter, um, you know, turned the tables and they were the ones up by double digits, we came back. And if I'm Molly Williams, I'm telling them, hey, look, man, they didn't win the game as much as they, they, they survived. Yeah, they quote unquote won the game, but they survived that game. Because if that game would have gone two more minutes, we would have, have been we would have been the ones that have been victorious. So something that's close, all we need to do is pay a little bit more closer to uh, attention on the details, and we've got this. So I'm thinking, look, man, for game six, I'm pulling in the big three and saying, look, man, we need to have a franchise. Three of you guys: Booker, Paul, DeAndre, Devin. I need you to be the franchise player, man. I need you to go, Kobe. I need you to go ahead, go in these next couple of days, man, go find anything Kobe, go back and recall anything Kobe told you, get into that mindset, because we need you to play like a franchise superstar. We need you to elevate your play even more. And I think you can do that. You've shown the propensity to do that in these playoffs and in these series. I need you to do that for this game more than ever. Let's not talk about game seven. We're not going to even be thinking about game seven. We're going to be concentrating on, you know what, the first quarter of game six, and then we're moving on. We're going to be concentrating on the walkthrough that we're going to be having to get ourselves ready to play for game six. That's how minute, that's how we're going to be focusing on this. But Devin, I need you to be Kobe great. You say that you want to be great. Now's your time. I need you to have that mindset. I need you to have that attitude. Chris, I need all of your 16 years of wisdom. You need to be the conductor. You need to be the coach. You need to be the Buddha. You need to be the sensei. You need to be the man in this situation. I I need you to be right there with with Devin. Book, I need you to get anywhere between 30 and 42 points. Chris, I need 25 to 32 points and double figures of assist from you. DeAndre, monster. Be a monster inside. Be a monster inside. When Giannis comes in full force, when Giannis comes in full bore, meet him. Meet him. Greet him. Let him know your name. He might not know your name as far as Alicia Keys. You don't know my name. Let him know your name. Meet force with force. Not just with Giannis. Also with Lopez. Also with Portis. Also with anybody else they bring in there. I need you to have a double-double. And when I say a double-double, I'm talking about I need you to get 15 to 18 points. and need you to get 18 to 22 rebounds that type of force, and be a man, even more of a man than you've been. You've been a man. Be more of a man for the series, because we're going to need you. Also, for Phoenix, Cam Payne, Cam Johnson, I need you. I need, Cam, I need, campaign. I need you to push tempo. Get to the rim. Score 10 plus points. Get other folks involved. Get the big men for Milwaukee in foul trouble. Make that impact on the game. Don't worry about the Minister, you're going to be playing i need you to go full bore i need you to go full out i need you to be aggressive i need for you to uh make an impact of the game because so far in the last couple of games you haven't cam johnson i need you to make some threes for me buddy when paul is setting up folks when Payne is setting up folks I need you to be one of those folks. I need you to come in. I need for you to look for your shot. I need for you to be aggressive in taking the shot. I need for you to be doing what Pat Cunnington is doing for the Milwaukee Bucks. Hitting threes, being an impactful presence, getting on the glass, being energetic. I need you to do that. We need you. You might not be the 40-minute man. You might not be the 32-minute man, but we're going to need you, man. Whether it be 15 minutes, 18 minutes, 22 minutes, we need you in those minutes to make an impact. That's what we need, and that's what Phoenix needs to do. Jay Crowder, you need to make Giannis work for his points and rebounds and continue to make three-point shots. He's hitting 57% through the last four games. Okay, Jay, continue to uh, make Giannis work. I don't give a damn about the stats. I don't give a damn about, you know, the numbers that he puts up. Make him work for it. We've seen that sometimes just because of the, 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 the moment itself that he gets overwhelmed and he gets a little bit hyperventilated and he needs to take himself out of the game, right? So, you know, play on that. Work on that. Use that to his advantage. Use that to your advantage. And also, did I mention he also has a hyperextended knee? Both teams are using eight-man rotations. Milwaukee starting five: Portis, Connington, and you got Jeff Teague for five to eight minutes. Why you play five to eight minutes? I have no idea. But you know, Teague gets in there for a cup of coffee. Phoenix starting five, and you got Cam Johnson, Cameron Payne, and Torian Craig. Which one of those? What what are we talking about here? Whenever Big Three and Role Player plays well on on, uh, Tuesday, tomorrow, they're going to win the game. And it means that Phoenix is going to be going back to uh, try to win this in Game 7 or Milwaukee's going to be raising the trophy, the L.O.B., for the first time in 50 years. L.O.B. means Larry O'Brien. Which one is it going to be? Who's going to impose their will? Who's going to make that play? Who is going to be the team that's going to make plays – at the important moment of the game to uh, either be a champion or still keep them in the running to be a champion. I don't know. I'm not in the prediction business, Milwaukee and six. I'm not in the prediction business, but I just hope and pray that game six, just like games four and five, both teams give us one hell of a game. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Monday morning, three weeks before Clark County schools go back in session, so I have three more weeks left. Let me see. Today's the 19th, so I've got uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I have the 23rd to 30th, and then the 6th. So yeah, three more weeks to go before school starts again, and I start. Doing my thing. Seeing so, you know, what I can do to take care, take care of you and take care of you. Take care of you. Take care of as many people as I can, especially my generation. So, you know, we ain't looking to work forever. And you know, we have healthy diets, we have healthy lifestyles. A lot of folks are going to the gym. A lot of folks are watching what they eat. Smoking's down. Hopefully you ain't doing any drugs. You're not abusing alcohol. Your stress level is low. You're your, your, your feelings are great and everything like that, you know, depending upon the genes, the history of your family, we're going to be living older, so, you know, hey man, for a lot of us around my age, we got sometimes, what, a max of what, we can make it another, well, I'm 52 years old, so what, people around my age, we can make it to another, what, 25, 30 years left to go, be good enough, that'll be something else, we can make it to our mid-80s, that'd be pretty good, right, That that's a good thing to shoot for, but hell, even if we make it to like 75 or 80, that's still pretty damn good, so, you know, maximum, we've got about another 25, 30 years to go in life, so I'm trying to do everything that I can to make the last 10, 15 years of that life as possible, as relaxing and as safe as possible by making sure that the younger generation, and learning the lessons that I'm teaching them about understanding, and unity, and harmony, and education, and learning, and those type of things, being respectable human beings, see what we can do to move the society and the direction that it needs to be moving in. So once again, us old folks, when we reach our 70s, hopefully some of us in our 80s, that, you know, we can go ahead and we can live in a world, we can live in a community that's going to be devoid of walking down the street and being mugged, being in your car and being shot or being robbed or being assaulted or anything like that. That we can live in more communities where there's going to be people who aren't going to be all of our ages, that we can live amongst the young folks and not have to worry about them doing something ridiculous. And by that time, when, you're, we, when we reach our 70s and 80s, hey man, young folks are going to be like, I'm talking about people like in their 40s and their 50s. I'm not talking about, hey man, when I'm seventy something years old, I ain't going to be living anywhere near people in their 20s and 30s. No, 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 no. Too fast, too loud, too energetic for me. No, I'm going to kick back. I'm going to be relaxed, and I want to be around the same type of folks that are going to be kicking it the same way that I am. If I need to go somewhere to kind of up the motivation, to kind of up the barometer, to kind of up the uh, gas pedal, put the uh, pedal to the metal a little bit, I want that to be somewhere around the 40s and the 50 year olds. You know, folks who have some kids that are either out of the house or just about to get out of the house or something like that. Now, these young families and these young folks in their 20s and 30s who are just starting life, nah, man, I'm going to leave that world to y'all. I'm going to be kicking it back over to the leisure world in only Maryland, hopefully, and uh, enjoy the last whatever years I have left, man. Just, uh, that's what I'm all about. So yeah, three more weeks before school starts. And then uh, my work is, uh, my work will begin once again. And remember, I'm doing it for you and I'm doing it for you as much as as I'm doing it for the kids. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, let's move this forward in terms of the NBA Finals. Milwaukee is one win away from winning their first championship in 50 years, winning four straight games after losing games one and two. What is this final showing? What are we talking about here? I I mentioned before, when the Suns were on the verge of making it to the NBA Finals, I said, you know what, man? This should be an inspiration to Orlando or to the My Washington Wizards or to the um, uh, Sacramento Kings, to the Minnesota Timberwolves. All these teams who, A, haven't been to the NBA championship, who had won an NBA championship, never won an NBA championship, haven't been relevant in NBA basketball for years, sometimes decades, the Phoenix Suns, should be your inspiration. The Phoenix Suns should be, your, should be your model in terms of, hey man, no matter how downtrodden the franchise might be, no matter how bleak the future might be, no matter how in the present it seems like there's no way, no how we could get a, we could get out of the muck that we're in. These teams, my Wizards, your Orlando Magics, your buddies, um, Indiana Pacers, your best friends, Sacramento Kings, your girlfriends, Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, your homeboys, Oklahoma City Thunder, they should look at the Phoenix Suns and say, well, damn, man, if they can do it, why can't we do it? Devin Booker wasn't drafted number one. Wasn't a high draft pick. This wasn't Cleveland getting LeBron James. This wasn't San Antonio getting Tim Duncan. This wasn't um, the Dallas Mavericks getting Luka. They haven't even won a playoff game yet. But, you know, Devin Booker wasn't this generational-type great that was going to rule the league with an iron fist. This wasn't the Lakers picking up Magic Johnson in 1979. This wasn't the Milwaukee Bucks winning a coin flip and selecting Lou Alcindor, normally, uh, a future known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. This isn't... Phoenix didn't build their championship medal. They didn't get to this position by doing that. Devin Booker was the, what, 13th, 14th, 15th pick in the draft. DeAndre Ayton number one okay but you know still this guy yet not yet has not been that superstar not yet maybe down the line he will and this that and the other but as of right now no Chris Paul was a free agent acquisition or excuse me what he was a trade he was a trade yeah he was a trade um Jay Crowder free agent acquisition it could be done You don't need to be in a market. You don't need to be in a New York market, or you don't need to have a franchise like the L.A. Lakers. You don't need to have an executive and have a location like Pat Riley and the Miami Heat. You you don't need to do all that stuff. You don't need to have a television contract like the New York Knicks have. You don't need to be in a market like the L.A. Lakers or the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, most, some, a lot of the well-known basketball players in the nba they live in la they live in southern california so it makes it even easier for the lakers on top of their franchise history and their fan base and everything else to go ahead and get uh the free agents that they want to have players to want to play in southern california and enjoy everything that comes with living in that area with playing for that basketball team with the notoriety that it that it brings so yeah la New York, Chicago, all those big markets. Yeah, they have some things that Memphis might not have, that Sacramento might not have, that uh, that uh, I don't know. Name me another small market that sucks. Uh, that uh, you know, Minnesota might not have. Relatively small market. Minnesota, St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota is not what I would consider a small market, but you know what I'm talking about. So you take a look at Phoenix, and you're like, yeah, look, man, we we can do this. If you're another team, we can do. We can try to build what they. We can try to do what they do, what they did to get to where they were. So, you know, that's one of the great things. Phoenix shouldn't be embarrassed if they lose this series. Depending upon what Chris Paul does in the future, the outlook for the Phoenix Suns is going to be bright. Mikhail Bridges is a guy who's going to be emerging as a very good role player for a team that can win a championship. DeAndre Ayton is continuing to develop into a high major NBA basketball player that could be the center of of a team that could win a championship. Booker is continuing to elevate his stature to a superstar level. Hasn't gotten there there yet, but at 24, and what he's been doing, the advantage, the education that he received this year, not just Booker, but also guys like Bridges, guys like Aiton, the education that they got from playing with Chris Paul this season is going to be invaluable in the years 2024 and 2025 and 2026, I mean, you have yourself a solid GM in place in terms of making the basketball decisions. You have yourself a very good coach in Monty Williams who could be a coach for the next 10 to 12 years and still be at his peak. So the future for the Suns are bright. Suns bright to much of their delight. It's going to be right there for Rough Phoenix. But right now, I think it's it's Milwaukee's time. I think it's Milwaukee's time to do what they need to do. I think it's Milwaukee's time to uh, say that we're the team right now. You know, and in, a, and in a series and in a team that you take a look on paper, if you take a look at uh, the players, mano imano, mano, and you're saying to yourself, evenly match, evenly match, what has been the difference for why Milwaukee is on the verge of winning an NBA champion, championship? And tomorrow, if they do win an NBA championship, Tuesday, if they do win an NBA championship, depending upon when you're listening to this podcast, what's going to be the difference in terms of why? The Milwaukee Bucks are holding all the trophies and in in wearing the championship ring, has all the jewels, and Phoenix is going back to the drawing board. The main difference, I think, between Milwaukee and Phoenix is the experience of playoff battles won and lost by the Bucks over multiple years that causes franchises like the Milwaukee Bucks to grow, understand the journey to become champions the the hunger, the bond, the chemistry of forms, the players, the coaches, the organization, the, the trainers, the community, everything. Everything. Milwaukee has that. Phoenix does it. This journey from th- this, this, this championship, and let's just go on the assumption that the Milwaukee Bucks are gonna win this championship either Tuesday or Thursday, right? This journey to championshipville by the Milwaukee Bucks. This journey started about eight years ago. Started in the 2013-14 season when they drafted some kid out of Greece named Giannis de, uh, Giannis did uh, did How do you pronounce his name? In fact, fuck that. The Bucks select... Giannis... Giannis... What kind of a name is that for some guy named Greece? And from Greece, G-G-G-G-G-G-G Giannis? What is it? Giannis. Giannis. With a G? Giannis Adenecu. 15th pick in the first round. Same pick that had Anthony go number one to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Otto Porter. Alex Lynn. Otto Porter from Georgetown University. Drafted number three by, by the Wizards. Alex Lynn. Zod- uh, Cody Zeller. Nerlens Noel. Trey Burke. Remember my man Shabazz Muhammad out here in Bishop Gorman High School? Oh, he really was 21 when he was a a sophomore in high school. Oh, how about that? He said he was 15. No wonder. 21-year-olds with uh, a full facial hair. Yeah, I thought someone was up with him. But those are the players that were drafted before Adenokupo. Who would have known? Who would have known? So that season, Milwaukee started this journey. They started it with Giannis. They started it with Chris Middleton. Those are the only guys from the beginning of this journey that are now on, that are still on the uh, roster for Milwaukee. They're two of the most important players on that team. They grew together. They, they went through the growing pains together. That first season, they finished 15 and 67, 15th in the Eastern Conference. That was the team that had Larry Sanders. No, not that Larry Sanders. The basketball playing 6'11 enigma, known as Larry Sanders. Brandon Knight. O.J. Mayo. O.J. Flippin Mayo. Remember that guy. The guy, O.J. Mayle, who was an eighth grader and was dominating high school basketball, and he was called to be the second coming, and USC did some nefarious things, so he went to UFC, USC played one season and fizzled out as an NBA player. Zaza Pachulia, Ramon Sessions, they were on that team. Larry Drew was the coach of that team. That team went 15-67. Then Jason Kidd came in and for the next three and a half years, started the rebuilding, started the momentum going forward, made the playoffs the first year that Kidd was the coach and lost to Chicago 4-2. That set up the stage for 2016, 27, and beyond, where the Bucks have uh, made the playoffs every year since then. But that was the first step in terms of bottoming out, getting the talent, growing together, who's going to be there, who's not going to be there, who can we build with, Who can we not build with? Who's the person we're going to be building upon? The guy that we drafted, is it going to be this guy? It is going to be this guy, Giannis. Giannis is that special type of player. Giannis is going to be someone who's not going to go ahead and start start wanting to get record deals and book deals and put cameras-in-my-face deals, and I want to be on TV every single time deals, and I want to build my brand deal. Giannis seems to be this type of guy who's a worker. Giannis is a guy who we can build around. Giannis is a guy that we have confidence that even though he might be two years away from being two years away, that the process is going to work because of the work ethic and the person that Giannis Adenakupo is. We've got something here. Now let's start building around him through trial, through error, through everything else. Good organization. John Hammond came in, tried, couldn't get it done, brought in someone else. He started building. They started bringing in pieces. They started building around first Giannis. Then we saw Chris Middleton make that move. Let's start building around those two. We've got something here. We've got something here. So while the Golden State Warriors are ruling the NBA and LeBron is still in the East with the Cleveland Cavaliers and their super team of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, let's build Let's experiment. Let's hit or miss. Let's swing for the fences. Let's make strong moves. Let's make bold moves. Because if we draft Thon McCour, who cares? He ain't going to be working out. He ain't going to be ready for us when the... Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors are ruling the roost. But if we're patient with him and we can work with him, there's a possibility that we can turn him into another Giannis and Cupo Didn't work out that way. But bold moves, risky moves. Sometimes they pay off in Giannis. Sometimes they don't in Thon McCor. They drafted Jabari Parker. That didn't work. Moving on. Quickly moving on. Bringing in some folks. Bringing in some pieces. Building around Chris. Building mainly around Giannis. And all of those things... All of those trials, all of those tribulations, the fact that Giannis went through 15 to 67 his first year, the fact that uh, he continued to work, he continued to believe, he got himself acclimated to the American culture, he learned English, he became more comfortable in front of folks speaking, doing interviews in English. The rise of Kupo didn't uh, shake his ability to work, didn't shake his work ethic, didn't shape his... Uh, didn't warp his dedication. Didn't all of a sudden, you know, he, he didn't get Jimmy Butler'd like what happened to Jimmy Butler when he was, when he was the humble late round draft pick. And all of a sudden now he starts demanding things and doing all this type of bullshit with the Chicago Bulls. Giannis didn't do any of that. So since 16, 17, 2016, 2017, the Bucks started their journey to the playoffs, to where they are right now. And it wasn't, uh, Easy. It wasn't a situation like with Phoenix where you stink, you stink, you stink, you stink, you stink. stink. Hey, we're in the finals. Wasn't like that with Milwaukee at all. 16 through 18, yeah, they finished the seasons with a winning record that were putting them in the 6th and 7th place in the Eastern Conference. But, hey, you know what? They still lost in the first round each year. Boston in 7, Toronto in six. Giannis started to take off in the 2016 season, winning the most improved player. Started that run that accumulated that ended with him being the two-time back-to-back, two-time, two-time, most valuable player of the league, much to the chagrin of James Harden. But 2018 to 2020, right before this uh, season, record-wise, best team in the Eastern Conference. The build continues. The growth continues. The learning continues. The cohesion continues. The s- Experience continues with the Milwaukee Bucks building, not just with Giannis, not just with the players, but with the coaches. Other coaches couldn't get it done. Jay Triano couldn't get it done. Jason Kidd couldn't get it done. They bring in Mike Bootenholder, who himself was a guy that had success in Atlanta, but got bounced unceremoniously when they had the best record, when he had the best record with the Atlanta Hawks. So he comes over and he elevates that program and they keep building and they keep building and they keep building. Experimenting, and they keep doing some things. 2018 to 2020 record-wise, best team in the Eastern Conference, one of the favorites to win the championship. Woohoo! Giannis back-to-back MVPs. Woohoo! Team went a combined 116 to 39. Woohoo! Not only did Giannis become the MVP of the league not once but twice, but also the Defensive Player of the Year. Woohoo! John Horst won Executive of the Year in 2018. Woohoo! Mike Boutenholzer, one coach of the year the same year. Woohoo! Everything is rosy. Everything is looking easy. Everything looks like it's fatal complete. Everything looks... Wait, 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 wait. Wait. All of a sudden, they get to the playoffs. Lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Toronto Raptors in 2019 after winning the first two games and losing game three in double overtime. Lost that Eastern Conference final four games to two. Wait a minute. Giannis with the back-to-back MVP. Well, John Horst was the executive of... Well, I mean, by booting he won coaching. We were up 2-0 with home court advantage in the... We so easily won the first two rounds of the... Play. I thought for sure this Hollywood Cinderella ending would have us winning a chip. Nope. nope. Nope, 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 nope. Lost in the playoffs... 2019. Then they come back. All right, all right, all right. That's if that's fine. That's fine. We'll tinker here. We'll tinker there. We'll tinker out of this atmosphere. We'll go ahead and we'll make some changes. Eric Bledsoe. We'll give him a contract extension. We'll decide to uh, let Malcolm Brogdon go to Indiana and in free agency and re-sign Brooke Lopez. We still got Giannis MVP. We still got Chris Middleton, the uh perennial All-Star, continuing to get better. Now, all right. Here we go. Now, 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 now we got a button holder. Knows his team a little bit better. Here we go. You know, we, we, we learn from what happened in the Eastern Conference Finals. Gian, Giannis is going to come back with a more consistent outside shot. And we're going to, oh, COVID. COVID hit. Son of a bitch. Then we're off. Then we're not making any move. Then the season, is it going to be over? Is it going to be postponed? Is it going to be delayed? How are we going to do this? Are we going to be playing in no fans? Are we going to be playing? Where are we going to be playing? We're going to be playing in Orlando. Orlando? Okay, so what to do? Orlando, we're we're going to be away from family and friends. We're going to live in a Spartan type atmosphere in terms of no fans, no folks, no arenas. We're going to be playing in a bubble in Orlando. Well, I'm single. Can I bring in a couple of females of the night? Can't do that either. Can I? Can't do anything. All right, that's okay. That's okay. We're cool. We're the Milwaukee Bucks. We got the thing going. We. You know, we're, we're, we're going to... 2019 taught us a lot about adversity, and we're going to come back and... Wait a second. We're going to lose to the Miami Heat. Four games to one. And in that series, Giannis is going to miss one of those games because of injury. And then in game two, he's going to foul Jimmy Butler on a bullshit. you got to be kidding me. How can you call that on an MVP type of foul? At As time expired in regulation. And Butler's going to hit... Two free throws for the win at the buzzer as time expired. This bullshit fucking referee is going to call this foul on Giannis, the fucking MVP. He wouldn't call that shit on LeBron. He wouldn't call that shit on KD. He's going to call it on Giannis. My man's the fucking MVP. Damn. And we lose in five games. Now we have Giannis. Contract is coming up. And Giannis has expressed, you know what, man? I want to win. Ooh, Giannis is starting to get a little, starting to get a little hair on his chest with these comments now. Before it was like, "Hey, you know, we're all in this together, and I want to win, and together, and I'm not interested in building a super team, and I love Milwaukee, and Milwaukee's great, and it took me from a boy to a man, and this is all, this is fantastic, and I'm here for the long run. Don't worry about it." Now, all of a sudden, I hear Giannis saying stuff like, "I want to win, and I'm going to have to reevaluate, and I'm going to have to be re- reevaluate, and I'm going to have to do all these things." Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's he saying here? What's going on here? You don't think. You don't think Giannis has been Americanized, do you? You you, you, you don't think that the Lakers, no. You don't think Riley and the Miami Heat, no. (laughs) You don't think Cuban and Dallas with Luka would, no, 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 no. So all of those things came swirling into this season. Trials and tribulations, man. It's all part of the journey. All part of the ups and downs. All part of everything that makes a champion right there. You can't go through life and be successful. I don't give a fuck what you do without some adversity. You don't wake up and get out of your mom's womb and then become something super spectacular and awesome in life without going through trials and adversity and tribulations to make you the person that you are. So all of this stuff was part of the stew. All of this part, all of this stuff was part of the recipe. All of this stuff for where, where Milwaukee is right now with one more game to win an NBA championship. If they win an NBA championship, all of those things were necessary. All of those things had to be done. Giannis being a beast that he is, pulling up the numbers that he is. He needed that. He needed that. Giannis Middleton, P.J. Tucker when he was at Houston, going through the heartaches that they had to go through th- for years. Kellington being part of the Trials and tribulations. Lopez going through the series with Toronto and and uh, Miami. They had to experience that. They had to have the experience of the semifinal series against the Brooklyn Nets, where, again, winning game seven on the road in overtime, coming back from 0-2, being embarrassed, being laughed at, and then coming back from 2-3 to, to win two games to win the championship. This is now Giannis' time to win a championship. No player has ever averaged 30 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, and 60% shooting in the finals. Giannis has. 32, 13, 5.5%, one5 steals, 1 block, shooting 61%. Can't you threes? Can't you free throws? Give me Giannis. Eight days a week, 366 days a year, whether it's leap year or not. Take, I'll take that guy 25 hours a day, eight days a week, 375 fucking days out of the year. He might not be American, but son of a gun can't play some basketball. He might not have the grooves. He might not have the outside moves. He might not have the three-point shot. Modern day, Dr. J. Modern day Julius Irving. Is what Giannis is. So if you're Phoenix, don't be mad. This is all part of the plan here. This is all part of the deal. Ask Shaquille and Penny Hardaway and all those things, all those guys, about skipping the line in terms of what you need to do to win the championship. They thought they could do it. They had the modern day Wilt Chamberneese and Shaquille O'Neal, they had the modern day Magic Johnson at that time and Penny Hardaway. They had the three-point shooting ace of Dennis Scott. They had the all-around glue guy defense of Nick Anderson. They had veterans like Scott Skiles on that squad, Jeff Turner on that squad. Young cats thought that they could come in there and beat a team like the Houston Rockets who had gone through the adversity with Akeem and those guys. Those guys thought they could do those type of things. No, you can't. No, you can't. Guys that young who hadn't experienced anything – Regardless of how great, absolutely great and dominant Shaquille O'Neal was back in his days in Orlando, the league hadn't seen anything like him since, as a physical force, since uh, Wilt Chamberlain came into the league and just destroyed it with his skill and his smarts and his physicality and his size and its girth and his strength. If Wilt Chamberlain was playing during that time, he would have been Shaquille O'Neal, and Shaquille O'Neal came into a league that wasn't ready. For that type of size, that type of speed, that type of athleticism, that type of smarts, that type of aggressiveness, that type of knowing who he is and being comfortable who he is in his body so the mental uh, midget wouldn't be there. Lee didn't have anything to answer to respond to that. David Robinson couldn't do anything. Patrick Ewing couldn't do anything. None of those guys could do anything. Yet and still for all that greatness. And then being matched up with Penny Hardaway. Little Penny. Hanging out with Tyra Banks, building a whole commercial program for him, despite having that team that on talent was the best team in the league by far. You'll have that playoff experience; it can get you far. You got them past the Indiana Pacers to get to the NBA Finals. Couldn't get them past a, a player like a team in the series, and the battles and the tough series, and the adversity, and the experience, and everything that he had to go through. So if you're the Phoenix Suns, Devin Booker might be the most talented player in the series. Yeah, I know Giannis is out there playing, but from an offensive standpoint, being able to get a shot and everything else, argument can be made. Devin Booker is the most talented player in this series. DeAndre Ayton is going to be a monster in the paint. Chris Paul is a sagey, cagey veteran who can still play some really good basketball. Jay Crowder, really good glue guy. Mikhail Bridges, up-and-coming 3ND guy. Monty Williams have proved to be a very good head coach. Just not ready. Just don't have the experience. Chris Paul, first time in the finals. You're going to be relying on Jay Crowder in terms of, well, he's won a championship or, well, he's been in the finals, went to the finals last year in Miami. That's the guy you're going to be leaning on? After going up against a team like Milwaukee and everything that they've been through? Booker's only 24 years old, man. The man is 24 years old. Since being drafted in 2015, Phoenix has had a combined record of 121 and 323, 37% winning. What does Devin Booker know about winning? What does Devin Booker, as far as being a franchise player, what does he know about winning championships in the NBA? when you're going up against a team as experienced in that category in terms of playoff experience like the Milwaukee Bucks. Phoenix had not finished... fifth. Phoenix finished 14th or 15th in the Western Conference in four of the f- first five years that Booker was playing. That's not going to get him ready for a series like this in Milwaukee against Milwaukee in the NBA Finals. Depending upon what Chris does this offseason, This experience is only going to be a positive for the Suns organization, for Booker, for Aiton, for Bridges, for Johnson, and for the NBA itself, because this is only going to enhance those players. So right now, we're formulating, right now, you're watching a superstar grow within within your eyesight in Devin Booker. He might not win the NBA championship, but when he's one of the best players in the game and he's making first or second team All-NBA, point to uh, this experience right here. Point to this championship right here. In a couple of years, when the Phoenix Suns are holding up the LOB and they're going to be the one wearing the jewels, going through this is all going to be part of it. Should be part of it. But for right now, in my estimation, because we still got another game to play, hell, Phoenix might go to Milwaukee and Win Game Six, and all of this stuff that I'm saying might be bullshit. But I'm gonna take my bullshit, and I'm gonna take it to the bank to see if they cash it, because I believe it. That for right now, for this time period, in terms of being champion is concerned, is right now. Give the crown, give the trophy, give the jewels to Giannis and then the Cupo and the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> World in sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Getting down on the get down. I want to very quickly talk about the pay per view that I saw last night on the Peacock channel. By the way, Peacock, with the streaming of the WWE pay per view events, could you please get your shit together? But really appreciate that. One of the main reasons why I signed up for Peacock because of the uh, documentary or the subject matter they had about John Wayne Gacy and their crime and punishment show. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'm down with that. And, you know, the fact that uh, you have the WWE and its pay-per-views, I'm down with that. So it was a good deal. Not, uh, not uh, putting me out of house and home. So it's like, I'm down with that. But if you would, guys, could you at least somehow work together with the WWE to make sure that when you put on these pay-per-views that, I don't know, that we could actually watch them without any type of interruption? Would be nice. Would appreciate it. But uh, very good pay-per-view. I was uh, pleasantly surprised by the pay-per-view, the money in the bank, the return of the Cena. John Cena is back. Um, mixed emotions, I think, for the short term, I think is interesting. Now, well, I thought after um, Roman Reigns beat Edge, I thought that it would be The Rock. If anybody was going to, uh, you know, for the first big event event, As far as the WWE is concerned, one of their marquee pay-per-views is SummerSlam. That's going to be happening next month. I thought that this would be a situation where The Rock would come out. The Rock would be like, you know, you're talking about being the head of the table. I'm sorry, motherfucker. Who do you think the head of the table is? You or me. Thank you. But I think that program is going to be set up more toward uh, next WrestleMania. So... When I thought about it a little bit more, it was like, okay, he's standing in the ring. Okay, I'm getting ready to hear, it's your smell what the rock is cooking. I thought that was going to be shouted out. But when it was Cena, it was like, oh, okay. I knew Cena was coming back. Cena's coming back. Goldberg has signed a contract where he's supposed to be fighting two times a year. So I knew it was going to be either one of those guys. And I thought that uh, Cena was going to be matched up with Bobby Lashley for the uh, SummerSlam event. At, uh, at uh, out here in Vegas in August. Now, it might be that way. Cena's supposed to be on Raw tonight, but I was just surprised when it was the music for John Cena. And of course, the place erupted. It went crazy, this, that, and the other. Interesting, because for years on, uh, years on top of years, not maybe years on top of years, for a good amount of time, when that music hit, all you heard was, boo! i remember they had an event in fall river massachusetts or somewhere i've seen this from the bostonian area or he's from massachusetts and they had the event and this is when cena was still going strong and they had the event there in massachusetts and that music hit for cena and that crowd went boo and cena came out and you know how cena uh always talks to the camera you can hear him on Mike's talking to the crowd before he you know Brings out he never gives up bandana or whatever that is, and then he runs to the ring and does that little athletic deal where he you know hops into the ring and does that type of stuff. So Cena comes out, boo it's like, man, I can't get any love with, I can't get any love in my hometown. Damn, ain't that something? And he just kinda being a professional, just went on in and did his thing. So uh the fact that the crowd went nuts when Cena came back. Interesting because as I mentioned before, before he was dealt with a lot of booze. I don't mind Cena coming back. He's gonna he's forty something years old, so I don't know how much longer he has, but you take a look, Bobby Lashley is forty five years old and he's the WWE champion. And he's a full time guy. So, you know, Cena's got his other stuff going on with his um With his movies and everything, so I I don't know how much of a full-time guy, part-time guy, how much is he going to be contributing to the WWE as a full-timer. I don't know how many programs he could actually get into uh, because of his other status in other ventures and other things that he's doing outside of WWE, but for me, it's like, all right, man, I don't, I don't, you see him want to come back and he's good for business, fantastic, wonderful. For me personally... I would love it if he just came back with a different persona, with a different character. I mean, this is the type of deal that, you know, we've seen Cena do this, never give up and all this kind of stuff. And he's great with the kids and he's great for the Make-A-Wish Foundation and all those things. And that's awesome and that's great and everything. But, you know, he has been that same character. He's been the same character for so long. I know he deviated just a tad in a couple of occasions. I know with Rock, he... Did some heelish things. I know with Roman Reigns, he did some heelish things in terms of promos and such. But for the most part, he's always been a babyface. He's always been a good guy. I would just like to see a new character with him. I mean, you know, remember when Hogan at Bash of the Beach, when he uh, turned heel after a long period of time with the NWO? Now, that was a perfect time to uh, change, to, to turn, because, you know, we've gotten Hogan fatigue. the whole premise of Say Your Prayers and Eat Your Vitamins, that generation had grown up and it's like, okay, we, we, we're not kids anymore, so we don't really need to hear that anymore. And Hogan's persona and his character got a little bit stale, and he came into a program that was red hot already, or it was hot already, with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and the NWO, and that was new and that was fresh, even though that... Program was done in Japan. It Had it been done in the States when Bischoff and others took it, and uh, so it was. It was fresh. It was new. It was interesting. And then you you know insert Hogan Hogan into it with the with the with the change with the heel turn, and you know it made it white hot for for a while. Buried the WWE for for a little bit there because no one was really expecting Hogan to uh, become heel. He had been such a good guy and the face of the WWE and all those type of things for so many years that it was really like, wow, this is really great. This is really new. This is really fresh. This is really interesting. When he made that heel turn, I I would love to see, I mean, both he got heel champions on both Raw and SmackDown, but man, it would be awesome if they had a strong baby face as the champion. And then Cena Comes in, everyone's going nuts, yeah, this, that, and the other. And then he turned heel and he wins to championship belt that way. That that would be great. And then the chase would incur between the really white-hot, awesome babyface now against the heel, John Cena. That, that, that would be great. That would be an awesome program. But as I mentioned before, Bobby Lashley is firmly established as a heel. Roman Reigns is not only the best heel that you have in the company, but the best wrestler, the best persona, the best character in the in the business or in the uh, promotion so you're not going to do that so I guess Cena's going to keep up with his you know same persona which you know whatever works man whatever works those guys know what's going on better than I do I guess but uh, you know it was interesting very interesting to see Cena come back um, interesting in hearing the crowd's reactions first time since both brands the Raw and Smackdown brand left the Thunderdome I know that uh, SmackDown left, I believe, a week before, or something like that. um They had done their thing in front of a live crowd, but this was the first time that Raw had left the Thunderdome and were performing in front of fans for almost a year and a half. Surprise reactions. Some when, like, when they cheered AJ Styles and Omos, it was like, "Hey guys, we're supposed to be heels while you while you cheering for us," but. This crowd in Fort Worth, Texas, they were uh, firmly behind AJ Styles and gave Oma some love. Big uh, pop for Charlotte Flair, who's supposed to be, I wouldn't say big pop, but I mean the um, reaction toward Charlotte Flair was more baby than heel. Big E got a big pop. Alexa Bliss uh, got cheers. I mean, she's so beautiful, even though, you know, the way they have her, makeup now and looking now is like, and their character is so ridiculous, but, uh, you know, she didn't get booed. I mean, it was a good reaction for Alexa Bliss. On the other hand, the fans were not into the Viking Raiders. Rhea Ripley was a notion. She was supposed to be the baby face. Rhea Ripley got nothing out there. And then, uh, Natalia Tamina, uh, you know, they got booze. So it was interesting. Now that the, both brands are back on the road, it'll be interesting to see with some of these, um, uh, some of these programs to see how they're going. Mac Drew, Mc, Drew McIntyre got sort of a John Cena response when he first came to do a promo to do the interview. And then he talked about how much the, sun, the Thunderdome sucked and how much his promos sucked that he had to do. And that changed the tone of the crowd pretty much toward his favor after making those comments. So that was pretty good. But, uh, you know, it will be interesting moving forward to see exactly what's going on. I think Bobby Lashley got a pretty good pretty good um, reaction. Some boos, some cheers. It wasn't at the same level as Roman Reigns and Edge and others. But uh, for being the Raw champion, I, I don't know who else you're going to put in there. They're talking about bringing back Bill Goldberg. It's like, really, people are interested to see that. Are we really going to take the strap off of uh, Bobby Lashley and put it on Bill Goldberg, a guy who's going to be only working two times a year? I mean, you could get away with that somewhat with Brock Lesnar, but you're going to try to do that with Bill Goldberg if that's the direction you're going to. A 55, 56-year-old Bill Goldberg is going to be your WWE champion. But then again, when you think about it, in the annals of WWE history, they have Vince McMahon as one of the champions for a short amount of time. So whatever, whatever. We'll, we'll see what happens. All I'm looking for are some uh, good storylines and some um, some good work. Best overall match quality. I thought that the men's ladder match was awesome. I think Kevin Kevin Owens, the bumps that that guy takes, I don't know how much they're paying him, but it's not enough for the bumps that he takes. I think Ricochet is unbelievable. I think Ricochet, unfortunately... If the Intercontinental Champion really meant something, I think Ricochet could be a guy like that. I would love to see a program or I'd love to see a division with uh, the Matt Riddles and the Ricochets and the Mustafa Ali's and that level of performer or that level of what the WWE would Vince and those guys think about, you know, the Ricochets and the Mustafa Ali's and those guys who probably, they feel might not have the stature to ever become a WWE champion, world heavyweight champion, when you know, you've got Drew McIntyre and you've got Bobby Lashley, you've got these big behemoth guys, uh, Roman, the, Roman the Roost, um, Roman Reigns and such, Biggie and such. But I would just love to see, you know, if you're not going to have the strap for the world championship, I wish they would put more emphasis on the importance of the Intercont- Intercontinental Championship Which would, I think, be great for someone like a Ricochet. I think, you know, promos might not be great, but Ricochet as a performer is awesome. Him, Johnny Drip-Rip, who him and Miz were completely over uh, at the uh, pay-per-view with the crowd uh, last night. And um, AJ Styles is another guy who I think would be great in a a program for the Universal title. Or, excuse me, for the uh, Intercontinental title. You know, guys like that. You know, we'll we'll, we'll we'll see. I thought that the uh, women's match between Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair was beyond excellent. I thought both ladies were great uh, in, in their performance. I think the program itself absolutely, positively, undeniably sucks. It makes no sense. The writing has been bad. The acting has been horrendous. Both characters have been despicably unlikable. Rhea Ripley is supposed to be a face... And on these programs with Raw, you come away going, is she a face or a heel or a jackass? Or, I mean, what's going on with her? I think that she's been booked. I think the stuff that's been written for her has been just terrible. Horrible. I don't give a damn who you put out there. The Rock, Stone Cold, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Cena. I don't give a damn what immortal you would put out there. Savage. I don't give a damn who you put out there. Nobody could work with the bullshit with the... um, with the nonsense that um, the writers were given to um, Charlotte and Rhea Ripley, so with the I guess soon to be return of Becky Lynch, I guess her and Charlotte hopefully will be doing something at Summerslam, and um, we'll go on from there. We'll we'll move on from there. I'm glad that Biggie won the Money in the Bank. Good step for him. Rumor has it that he's going to be going to Raw, so him versus Lashley should be a pretty good program. Don't know if it's going to be a main program. WrestleMania, I would like to see Biggie become the WWE champion, which would give him a lot, a lot of time to, uh, for the writers if they know what they're doing to, um, you know, build him up. You know, WrestleMania season normally starts in another five to six months, so you can kind of use that time to kind of garner the kind of temperature the uh, fans' reaction toward Big E and then move him that way. Um, Lashley is not the guy, not the kind of guy, not the kind of performer. Doesn't have the type of persona as of right now with the gravitas to quote-unquote put somebody over, say, for instance, if Big E would have beaten a Roman Reigns or if he would be chasing a Roman Reigns for the title. But, you know, I think a main event at one of the, uh, I don't know, second-tier pay-per-views is not the right word for it. You got WrestleMania, and then a little bit below that, you got Survivor Series and you got uh, SummerSlam and those those type of things. But I think Lashley versus, Lashley versus Big E would be a very good program and I think would be a very good bait event type of deal. But, uh, you know, overall a really good night for the WWE. I, I, I love AEW. My favorite wrestler still is Kenny Omega. I love the character that he's playing. I love the character of the Young Bucks. I just love everything about uh, AEW right now. My main man, Sammy Gravana is uh, just awesome. Um, the Inner Circle versus the Pineapple. What was that? Oh, I'm sorry. The Pinnacle. And uh, so I, I, you know, I, I'm glad that you know WWE at least for at least for one night for one pay per view elevated its um, elevated its product because on Raw for many nights for many programs it's been damn near unwatchable. The Acting has been horrendous. The only good things that's been happening on Raw lately was Bobby Lashley and MVP, uh, Drew McIntyre. Now he's in this ridiculous thing with Jinder Mahal. So we'll see how this goes. Um, you know, everything else has been substandard. As I mentioned before, I think they could have gotten something really good from a program of Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair, but that's just been beyond atrocious and, um, We'll see moving forward now. I don't know what's going to be happening, where Cena's going to land, probably SmackDown. We'll see what Bill Goldberg, what that reaction's going to be. We'll see if the quality of the show will be hyped up a little bit more, will be increased a little bit more because of fan reaction, fan um, being in the attendance. So we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, still with AEW. Great thing though that I mentioned, that I saw, boy, you know, people like to shit on Roman Reigns. Even when he was a face, even when, you know, people were complaining like Roman Reigns was trying to, was being shoved down my uh, throats at the guy who was going to be the, the next John Cena in terms of being that baby face guy. I think as of right now, like I said, I'm biased toward Kenny Omega. But um, it's hard to argue that Roman Reigns, his character, what he's doing, the work that he's doing, he's the best in the business right now. And the performance against uh, Edge last night, yeah, it was a little slow. Yeah, it was a little plodding. Yeah, it was probably you know, that's something that a, a bigger guy, like a giant, the pace of a giant of an Omos of a Big Show or something like that of a of a um of uh oh, what's that motherfucker who was just released? Um, man, I forgot who it was. I see his face. Who Braun Strowman? Thanks, thank you, Wendell. Old old uh, person moment. Yeah, but you know the the. It, He had... Roman Reigns had the pace of one of those guys. A big, giant monster type of guy. And I've seen Roman Reigns go, go, go. I mean, I've seen him in programs where, you know, he has to go, go, go. So he's extremely versatile. But just the psychology that he brings to the table right now with his matches, the way that he tells a story, the fact that, uh, you know, him and Edge told a fucking awesome story last night in the ring. In the ring. I thought it was great. And at that level... As much as I love Kenny Omega, as much as I love all the guys on AEW, there's no one outside of Chris Jericho in that promotion that can uh, tell a story quite like some of the best that uh, Raw has. So I think it was awesome. Biggie, and uh, Not Biggie, uh Bobby Lashley. Before I get out of here, destroying Kofi Kingston. Hey, man. You know, I like Kofi Kingston and everything. I think the New Day has kind of like gotten old and stale for me. Um... Kofi Kingston, he is who he is. He's always... He he had that one moment to shine. He's shown. Now he's back to uh, being what he was. Everybody knew after Lashley gave that speech about we got to stop this bullshit. Everything is over. Kofi called me soft. I am getting soft. And I'm going to tear you apart. And this, that, the other. And he destroyed the uh, lounge and all this kind of stuff. You, you knew, especially with Goldberg coming back, with Cena coming back, you knew that Kofi Kingston had to get destroyed. You you knew going into this pay-per-view on this championship match that they had to get Bobby Lashley over as this badass, as this unstoppable force. You know, you, so Kofi Kingston, you, you couldn't give Kofi Kingston any shine. And Kofi Kingston was the best one that was put in that position in terms of, okay, he's already beaten the shit out of Riddle. He's already, uh, you know, beat the shit out of Miz to get the belt, so he's already gone through that. You're not going to bring Drew Drew back. That that program's already over. There's nobody else on the babyface side. You're not going to bring in Xavier Woods. You're not going to bring in anybody else. Kofi Kingston was the best guy to serve up to Bobby Lashley last night to establish Lashley as that unforced that you know that big bully, the Brock Lesnar, the unstoppable force, the brute monster that. Bill Goldberg, who's going to come in and uh, challenge him, he's going to be able to stand up to the bully. Bobby Lashley versus Kofi Kingston, just size-wise, looks like a complete and utter mismatch. And that's the way it was treated last night. So Goldberg, who's of much greater stature and strength and physique and such, I guess WWE is saying that is a better outlook for Raw and um, Bobby Lashley going forward. But uh, all in all... Pretty decent uh, direction now. I have some little bit of confidence now that Vinnie Mac can uh, turn things around and get Raw going. Get WWE going. But last night, kudos, my man. Kudos. That money in the bank was fantastic.
0: 0-1-2, one 2 I want to. I want to. I like to introduce, like to myself. introduce myself. My name is I'm Biz Markie, and well, I'm the human orchestra called Biz Marquee. Making music all the is my special G. Why not go? I want you, Girls get excited when they hear my lyrics; they want to recite, I know y'all in the mood. Just go with the flow, and I can play rapping records and old disco like Peter, Billy G, for Bill Michael Jackson. All the treasures be ranking. They gon' act you when you hear me. You will be shocked and amazed It's the brand new thing they call the human beatbox craze Make the music speak to my, oh. <laughs> my face Make the music speak to my Make the music speak to my face hey, 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 hey. Well I don't just do the beatbox I rock on the mic and you know all the bomb that I say All the people like I get the
1: crowd when those the World in Sports all the party people say it's I'm a your something. host Wendell Wallace, so glad that, that you could be with us. Last segment of the program. I want to give a special dedication. I want to give a tribute. I want to give a shout out to my man who passed away the other day. Remembering Biz Marquis who died last Thursday. His death was confirmed by his manager, Jenny Azumi, I Z U M L whatever. Uh, Basically, what she said via chat was, we are grateful for the many calls and prayers of support that we have received during this difficult time. Biz created a legacy of artistry that will forever be celebrated by his industry peers and his beloved fans whose lives he was able to touch through music spanning over 35 years. He had reportedly been ill for months, but uh, no official cause of death has been provided yet. So, yeah, man, that was. Man, first of all, when you hear stuff like that, like someone like Biz or someone, you know, dying like that, first of all, it makes you realize how old you are because it's like, well, how about that? I grew up with this guy and uh, it just uh, makes you reflect a little bit in terms of there's things I love. I love my parents, love uh, my brother, Mikel Davis, love my man, Martin Prather, love Wex and Hoot, love... uh, um love, love a lot of people. Love a good a good amount of people. Love uh love food <laughs> love fries love sports love Georgetown Love the NBA and I love music. And Biz was a part of that. I love rap music, old school rap music, by the way. Get off my law time. Old school rap music. Love um uh, R&B, love soul music, love old school soul music, love old school R&B, love jazz, old school jazz, Coltrane, Miles Davis, and you know there's things that I genuinely, really, really love in life. And when it comes to music, I, I love music. I mean, if it was a if it came down between, um, I can never watch a television program or I can never listen to music again. There would probably be if I had to choose one, I would choose music. Music is very high in my life. Music is something that keeps me going. Music is something that gets me make me the person that I am. Music is something that calms the savage beast in me. Music is brings me joy. Music is comforting. Music is very important. Music is something that I listen to every day of my life. Music is something that I can't go an entire day without listening to. Music is extremely important to me. Music is my foundation. Music, music, music. It's all about music. Biz is someone who contributed to my love, my addiction, my need for music, for good music, for awesome music. Whether it's Coltrane, whether it's Rakim, whether it's um, Kumo D, whether it's James Brown, whether it's Sam Cooke, whether it's Carly Simon, whether it's the Doobie Brothers, whether it's uh, Mahalia Jackson, whether it's Aretha Franklin, whether it's Anita Baker, whatever, man. Biz is a part of my love, my addiction for music, which is part of me. So biz has an important part in me becoming the person that I am. That's what biz meant to me. That's what biz means to me. The foundation for my next level of loving rap music. For four biz, man, before I was introduced to him, you know, I was a guy who was with Africa Bambada. I was a guy who was with The Message by Grand Master Flash and the Furious Five. I was with Houdini. Five minutes to fungus. Ain't no junks so or pull your bottoms off the trees. stump ladies, ladies looking pretty from city to city. But now we're getting down to the nitty gritty from the bottom to the top, top to the bottom. I'm going to rock them while I still got them. I mean, that was, that was my deal, man. What people do for money. What people do. For money. You got to remember, at my age, and Armando Vasquez's age, and John Wexler's age, and Mikel Davis's age, and David O'Neill's age, and Keith Brown's age, and Flavius Galliper's age, and Marvin Preiser's age, and everybody of my um, generation, man, we we were the ones who were the most influenced. We were there at the beginning of rap music. Jeremy Friedland, Jerome, we were at the beginning of when all this stuff started. I remember where I was in my basement, you know, playing a record of, you know, hip-hop, hippity-hip-hip-hop. You know, I was, I was there for Rapper Delight. I was there for Roxanne, Roxanne, mm, mm, I wanna be your man. Mm, mm, Roxanne, Roxanne. So we were there at the baseline. We were there when everything first came out. What Biz did for me was when I first heard Biz Marquis, and I heard "Picking Boogers," and I heard that song. I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly what I was doing. I remember saying, "Who in the hell is this guy? This guy is great." You heard it. On, I heard it on the cassette tape. You know, back then we used to uh, you know trade cassette tapes and stuff. So when I got the cassette tape and heard um, the mixtape, and I heard "Picking Boogers," I mean. Instantly, I was hooked by Biz. I was like, who is this guy? This guy's great. He, he was the conduit for me to discover Eric being and Rakim, the Juice Crew of Big Daddy Kane, Master Ace, Cool G Rap, um, you know, those guys. Um, MC Sham, Heavy D, MC Light, Cool Modine, Queen Latifah, Dougie Fresh, Slick Rick, EPMD, Public Enemy, and others. That's, Biz was one where I made that transition to from Houdini, I would never run DMC guy, but I made that transition from Bambada and Houdini and that era, that generation of rap to the new generation, to the next generation, which took the skills, which took lyricists, which took everything to a whole new level. And that's when I really, I mean, I love bambata I love the message. I love Grandmaster Flash. I loved all that stuff. But when I heard like, Biz, I mean, it was like my June. It took me up to another level in terms of, oh, yeah. And it became part of my existence. It became part of my childhood, my, you know, growing up, all those type of things. I mean, you know, that rap music was all about that. And Biz and Big Daddy and Rakim and Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh and Kool Moe D and EPMD and Heavy D and all of those guys. They became staples. Yo, MTV raps. I mean, you know, they became like every day for me in terms of that type of thing. So yeah, man, biz is uh, beyond, beyond important for me. You know, yeah, Bimbada and those guys, foundation for my love of hip hop. But, you know, hearing biz just immediately hooked. And the thing that also, when you make the correlation between my reverence and love and devotion, and passion toward old school R&B, and why my heroes from that time, Otis Redding, Sam Cooke, um, Booker T and the EMGs, Sam and Dave, all those guys, you know, um, Levi Stubbs, the four tops and those guys, the reason why I'm so passionate, the reason why I'm so into it, the reason why I'm so educated, the reason why I'm so knowledgeable, the reason why I'm so just fiending for that stuff, old school stuff, Jerry Butler and such. The reason why I love that music so much is also because when you heard the music by Rakim and East Coast Rap and Biz and all of those guys, and you heard the samples, and you heard the beats, and you heard the rhythms, and you heard that type of stuff, I was like, man, I want to find out where this music is coming from. I mean, I want to hear what, you know. And so because of that, everybody back in the 80s in New York who, were, who was rapping, everybody was sampling James Brown. So, you know, when I started hearing that stuff, when I started trying to figure out, you know, who was the, what was the music behind the, you know, that was the foundation for these guys rapping. And, you know, I found out, you know, it was James Brown and these type of guys. That's what got me interested in saying, all right. I mean, the rap was awesome with the sample, but now I got to hear the real thing in terms of the music is concerned. And that got me hooked. And that... Introduced me. I mean, I wasn't a lifelong Otis Redding fan. I wasn't a lifelong knowledgeable guy of Stacks and Motown and all that kind of stuff, and Mahalia Jackson and Aretha Franklin and all those type of stuff. Yeah, you know, my parents played that at the crib. My parents played that at home. But, you know, when I found out that, you know, Biz and Public Enemy and Big Daddy and all these guys were sampling, KRS1 was sampling from James Brown and all those kind of folks, I went digging in the crates in terms of my dad's you know, uh, CD, a record, um, album collection. And that's where I started pulling out, you know, James Brown and all these type of guys and getting more into Stevie Wonder, the earlier stuff of Stevie Wonder and all these guys. I started playing them and started paying more attention and started to get a little bit deeper and digging a little bit more and learning a little bit more and learning about Stack Studios and learning about Chess Records and learning about John Coltrane and learning about Miles Davis and learning about just a whole array of, of music that, yeah, I listened to because my parents were listening to it, but I really wasn't paying that much attention to it because I was in my own little immature world of, you know, being a guy who's what, you know, 12, 15, 16 years old. So, you know, biz was the one who introduced me to the love affair that I have. The love affair of, of eternity of old school soul in R and B in music, uh, gospel music and jazz and that type of thing. So, You know, I want to thank him for that. I want to thank him for that. He will be greatly missed and we're going to miss him. So as I end the program today, I'm going to do the outro music of one of the songs that I listened to. And not only did I fall in love with the song, but I also fell in love with the sample and I found out it was James Brown, Papa Don't Take No Mess. And I was like, man, not only is this song that Biz is rapping to, not only is this great, but the music that uh, it came from is just as great. And I'm just as hooked on it as I am with uh, Biz talking about radio teachers and even the press. They want to know about the V-A-P-O-R-S. So, you know, I want to be ending this podcast with, can you feel it? Nothing can save you because this is the season of catching the vapors. And since I got time, what I'm going to do and tell you how I spread it throughout my crew, will you all only- know? TJ Song, who sings all my records, make the music, nobody beat the biz. Well, check it. Back in the day before biz began, she used to talk. he used to try to talk to this girl named Fran, a type of female with fly Gucci wear with big trunk jewelry and these stitches in the hair. But Sean tried to kick it, she always fast talking about, nigga, please, you work for the UPS. So I'm going to be ending on that note with biz, the Vapors. Rest in peace to the legend, to um, someone who I owe a lot to. Music, vapors, biz, rest in peace, love, peace, unity, harmony, all those type of things. Biz, get me on out of here.
0: Radio, TV, and even the press, Say what's the meaning of V-A-P-O-R? The meaning of this word, without no doubt, means nobody want to be that when you're down and out. Now when you're established and got a lot of money, everybody want to be your buddy and honey. Like tall builders, they call skyscrapers, and you feel it. Look can save well, But this is the season Of catching the vapors And since I got time What I'm gonna do And tell your how They spread it Throughout my crew While well, you all know T.G. Swan Who sang on my records Make the music Nobody beats the biz Well check it